Welcome to the Five Elements Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. We were going to do these weekly and we failed miserably. Yeah, no. (laughs) It was ambitious. It was bold. It really was. That's what we are though. We're risk takers here at Five Elements. Sad. Yeah. Real sad. But we're back again. Back at it today. Talking about... uh, why weight loss is harder for some than it is for others, which is a great topic we think is under-discussed and it's full of nuance, mm-hmm. which we also love. So, you know. <sighs> we hope that you can sort of parse through this information and also remember that there are no hard and fast rules when it comes to this stuff. Like, yes, it will be harder for some, easier for others, but that's not final. That doesn't mean that weight loss will be impossible. That's, yeah. It's not meant to discourage you or dissuade you from like your weight loss efforts we're just trying to sort of unpack the how and why for some people it seems kind of effortless yeah and for some people you can see them doing everything right and nothing's happening and it's incredibly frustrating and the reason why we find this conversation to be so valuable is because understanding some of the research behind it understanding the reasoning why can help bring a more compassionate understanding of your own struggles or someone who you care about struggles as opposed to the historical rhetoric of they just didn't want it as bad they didn't have discipline etc etc that's not really effective in any sense so we want to help bring some light to that and help contextualize this situation and that way you can also manage your expectations a little bit better 100 because then you know that things might still be trending in the right direction but you might not see as big of jumps as Mm -hmm. an average person exactly comparing your weight loss efforts to someone else's is inherently apples to oranges and we're going to discuss why that is so first First things first, um, you can support the show. We'll just we'll briefly skim through the classic shill of the Five Elements podcast. So first things first, online coaching, that's the bread and butter of what we do at Five Elements. So if you're interested in working with us to help with your fitness goals, whether that be body composition related, you wanted to build some confidence in the gym, and you want coaches that operate from empathy and with a client-centered approach, meaning we don't do shit for us. We do what's in your best interest and we work with you to help your fitness journey take that next step, getting stronger, building muscle, building confidence, anything. And building healthier relationships with yourself and with food. That is something that we definitely focus on with each and every one of our clients. Totally. So that's the one way you can support the show. You can apply through our website. The link will be in the description. You can also leave a review or share the pod with some friends. That's the biggest way this will grow. Absolutely. If you find this valuable, we ask that you leave a review on whatever platform you're on or just share. And lastly, you can subscribe to our free newsletter where we do (laughs) infrequent emails. Um, Sometimes Mm -hmm. we miss them, sometimes we don't because we've got a lot of stuff on our plate, but we try Mm -hmm. to do a Monday mindset in a weekly recap on Friday. So we will put all those links in the show notes below, but let's get to today's episode, starting with roses and thorns. You first. All right, classic. Lol. Roses, easy for me today because the weather is you fucking money. What do you mean? No, okay. I. Listen, listen, okay. For anyone listening, we don't do videos of this, so everyone's listening. I know it might not have seemed like it over the last two years on my social media, but I'm half Indian. <laughs> I'm not white or Italian as it probably looks on social media. This is the whitest I've ever been. Uh Nothing wrong with that. But my skin has been craving that melanin to express itself for some for years now. And 
every time the sun touches my skin, my N of one data is that I become 1000% happier immediately. Dylan is also significantly impacted by seasonal affective disorder. 100%. Is it disorder or depression? I, I don't know, it's, know, I know anymore. It's sad both sad, ways. Sad. Yeah, it is I get, full blown depression. Sad. I get sad. The moment the sun comes oh. back out, he is a fucking, sorry, he is a completely different person. Did you just say fucking on this wholesome <laughs> family values driven <laughs> podcast? Oopsie. Okay. <laughs> Swear like a sailor. Say, say the F word. No. Come on. You already said it. Fucking. <laughs> um, I don't know why you just censored yourself swearing. I swore like two seconds ago. Oh, God. Um, so that was my big rose. I was in yeah. the sun all day, like all weekend. I just couldn't get enough. That shit was amazing. Big sun. Excited for the summer. Hell yeah. Thorn. Been working through some shit. Uh, and I think I've talked about this quite a bit. I think every thorn I have, I'm currently in therapy and kind of working through some of my, just my trauma of, we all have our own traumas, upbringing. Some people deal with them when they're kids, with their family support systems, right? I didn't have that. And I'm kind of unraveling a lot of that now. So it seems like each week or every other week, I'm yeah. having some sort of breakthrough. And this week is, is no exception from that. So the work just keeps getting harder, but also more eye open in a lot of ways yeah. and it's been if anyone has ever been around someone who has is strong on the narcissism spectrum it's been brought to my awareness that one of my closest caregivers was like that and shaped my mind in a lot of ways that I didn't realize because the thing is we only know what we know in a lot of ways you can have perspectives on the world you can have coping mechanisms and until it's pointed out that that's not typical and that's not particularly mm -hmm. healthy you you'll think it's normal and healthy because it's all you know and no one's ever pointed out the opposite and i've had that pointed out to me in therapy talking with my partner talking with my sister my friends etc and it's just been helpful with a lot of rejection also like denial Mm -hmm. And I've been coming more full circle on that and just seeing how much it's affected me and the shame that I carry with that. It's kind of embarrassing in a lot of ways, but forgiving myself along the way, working on it, getting better. That's the thorn for sure. Just how heavy it is. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I actually assume this will be a recurring theme of how heavy it is yeah. until one day the lightness comes through. So that's my thorn and that's my rose, but the rose is so good. So good. <laughs> the rose, it's the rosiest of roses. Oh my God. Okay. So my rose is, I have to change it now. You can say the weather. No, I can do better than that. My rose is actually gratitude for you. Okay. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll take that all day. Okay. Okay. So tell me how good I am. You're amazing. All but right, um, you. I feel really grateful to be in a relationship with somebody who pushes themselves to grow and lets me push them to grow and who pushes me to grow. I feel so grateful to feel very supported. And like historically, I've not had that in relationships. I haven't really had many healthy relationships in my life. And I'm a big culprit in that for sure. But I haven't picked the healthiest dynamics for myself. And it's really nice to sort of feel both free and held in our relationship. Right. That gives me such a sense of joy and gratitude. Yeah. But it's been a hell of a battle to get there. Absolutely. Oh like my God. It's a hell a grind of a battle. On some days. Yeah. And I think that's some, th some I don't think that's talked about enough with relationships. No. It's very romantic and Hollywood esque. Yeah. But the best relationships I know are ones where both people look back and say, that was a grind yeah. and it was worth it. But there were days where I questioned it. There were yeah. days where I wasn't sure. There were days where it was like, wow, this is really hard. And at the end of it, you're 
like it was worth it right Mm -hmm. um and i think another thing is like and i say this to you all the time i'm like i have a hard time having a relationship with myself yes so and i think some of us where we think that a relationship with someone else will cure it and during this work that i've done i've had to realize that my relationship with myself it's so cheesy is always been quite toxic in a lot of ways and not healthy so it would be very unfair to expect that I could have a very healthy relationship with someone Mm -hmm. else when I can't even have one with myself and that's something that's part of that work is like working on yourself literally working Mm -hmm. on your relationships with others and building up that practice of what it's like to ask for help and like give help in Mm -hmm. a in a way that doesn't benefit you at all and and asking for help in ways that doesn't actually benefit someone else like they just want to be there for you yeah and I've had that where I I think I talked about it on the podcast. I asked my grandmother if she could take me driving because I was getting my license back. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, I was so conditioned to think that no one will ever help you unless you can offer something back mm-hmm. that I was like, I got to find a way to make it worth her while. I'll take you to Costco or I'll do this. And that's just not how it is. Like, she's like, yeah, any day, let's do it. Yeah. Um, and same with you. Like, I, I'm like, how do I make it worth Sam's while? How do I like bribe her into it? And if it means something to me, you'd be like, yeah, let's do it. Maybe not all the time. Yeah. You have your own boundaries, but realizing that. Yeah. And I mean, I think the point of difference in an unhealthy dynamic versus like a a healthier dynamic would kind of lie in like I want to say that love is enough and it's not but we have a foundation of love and we also always show up we never stop trying yeah even on the bad days even when it feels like I wouldn't say I always show up you're I think still I, here. That's I, I know, you but I think, up. but I'm, there's a, there's almost like a invisible way of like just having your body present. I can do that. But I think historically I've struggled with, and I've gotten a lot better at being there, but not being there, like mm-hmm. showing up, but not being supportive, not being loving, being a little bit vindictive, being petty. Like, yeah, I was very, I was really taught how to be petty very well and cold. Yes. And I've gotten a lot better at that showing up where it's like Mm -hmm. even when I want to be like cold and mean it's like no love harder on that day because that's it's easy to love someone on a honeymoon Mm-hmm. Right. A hundred percent. But what I was saying was that we still always show up. Even if we don't show up in the moment, we show up for each other after True. that. So I don't know. I feel grateful for you and for what we have. And yeah. And then my thorn. <sighs> I, okay. So I was recently diagnosed with ADHD and I completely understand that a large part of my neurodivergence is the feeling of overwhelm. I am no stranger to feeling overwhelmed. And I know that, again, like part of my neurodivergence, that's my homeostasis. I'm always overwhelmed. However, adulthood has been particularly overwhelming for me, especially in this like season of life. It's hard not to feel overwhelmed. It's hard not to feel overwhelmed with aging family members and the conversations around, you know, end of life care. It's overwhelming to discuss, you know, my mother's ailments and her health and where that's going and surgeries and this and that and then there's like buying houses there's you know running a business there's your own personal shit just it feels like being an adult is so overwhelming and I think a part of that is my neurodivergence for sure but I think a part of it is genuinely overwhelming I see other people yeah like adulthood is overwhelming and I hear this from a lot of people it feels like I'll never have it fully figured It feels like I'll never be a fully formed, competent adult human. And it 
to me sounds like there's sort of we're all waiting for the end of the finish line where we can say I finally made it I am a competent adult I don't know that there was ever like a stagnant place where you're supposed to get to where it all just flows and it's easy and being an adult feels like you've mastered it I don't think anyone ever gets there no I think that's the opposite of growth in a way you should never reach like this place of I made it you always want to be moving forward and growing but I don't know it's been daunting it's been hard it's been so overwhelming and it's left me with less resources it feels like I have less to give recently which is so frustrating for someone who prides themselves off being you know the epitome of human giver syndrome and then in the same breath you got to do what you got to do to take care of yourself and realize that when your resources are limited it's okay to pull back so that's been really hard lately but well I think a lot of like the ways in which we would have done that historically were just decimated during the pandemic traveling is very it's still it's obviously doable now but it's a little bit less accessible from a financial perspective in a lot of ways it's more complicated there's There's more more friction friction everywhere and that's gonna make it more complicated to do the things that give back to you and we talked about this the other day at dinner like that's one of the things where it's like you know what before the pandemic if you had the means and privilege to do so it was always like I could just book a flight at any point and go do something you know what I mean and now it's like I have to get my tests I have to do this I have to do that I have to make sure and it's just we're all so out of I'm very scattered yeah and even now like there just seems to be more friction along the way and when it was you know, social distancing has eased up, but COVID's still here. Um, some people think it's not, but no, it is still here. So we're still worried about that. And it's, you know, just the the outlets that we had are, especially during the winter in Canada. Holy shit, that was tough. Now that it's nice out, like we went to a park last weekend, we just walked around for like six hours. And I was like, man, oh God, this is, yeah. and I forgot about work. But when you're stuck in your home and you work from home, it's hard to forget about work when you're in your workspace all the time, 100%. kind of stuck. So yeah, that's going to be a tough challenge and go ahead. But to your point, like being an adult is really hard and you never make it. I remember being a kid where I was like, oh, when I'm 18, I'll be an adult and I'll have it all figured out. I know. And then I was the worst 18 year old pisshead out there. Honestly, (laughs) it's just, it's really challenging. And I'm having a hard time because, you know, most women I find suffer a little bit from human giver syndrome. Yeah, it's a very sociological component. Yeah. And I definitely have some of that for sure. And it's interesting because you need to sort of shift the goal from finding validation and always giving and sort of reframe it but what if I like get to shine as my own self? True. What you, you can't do I mean? if you're just depleted. Yeah. Totally. It was my sister who said to us, joy is like a radical act in times of suffering. Yeah, it is. Right. And I really appreciated that because with everything going on in the world and I, I could literally name a thousand things. Yeah. It's easy to be like, why do I get to enjoy anything? What, yeah. Why Why do I deserve to have joy while there's things going on in the world that are unspeakable? Right. And it's yep. like, but you still have to enjoy. You can't show up for your community if you're just depleted and burnt out yep. and resentful of the world. You have to toe that line of still being involved, but protecting yourself to enough of a degree that you can show up in the world to be the person you want to be, which is a really, I find right now is a really tough line to toe. It really is. I find that because we're in such privilege, right? We live in privilege. We are just by way of living Canada or North America um, or the more privileged places in the world like you have a privilege that a lot of people on this planet don't have yeah. you've access to clean drinking water well it, that's not all canadians like you and i yeah but i mean and then it extends out from there like yeah. there's so many privileges and it can almost feel like well why do
do I deserve joy yeah. when I already have all this privilege and there are so many people who have it worse? And it's almost like taking your privilege for granted in a way, which sounds ridiculous. But I remember listening to, I think it was Brene Brown's research actually, um, where she interviewed people who had suffered extreme loss. And they all kind of said something similar, which was, you know, let's say it was like the loss of a child. And they said, when I see somebody else in deep gratitude and enjoying the crap out of their kids, it makes me feel gratitude. Like it brings me joy because in that moment where they're like so deeply entrenched in the love for their child, they're honoring what I've lost. True. And it's almost, I'm trying to sort of extrapolate that by being like, well, maybe experiencing joy within our privilege is actually like an act of appreciating it, not of throwing it away, yeah, which like, is almost worse. Like to make yourself miserable with all the privilege you have just because you feel guilty and full of shame and you know, why bother? That's almost worse. Yeah, like I mean, the example you just used where like, I don't know, I think if that person, I mean, that that's a very emotionally healthy person to have that, right? Yeah. To go through that and to see someone with their children and actually feel yeah. grateful that like they're with their child right now. Like I would, I'm not going to excuse it, but I would totally understand someone being just so hurt they can't even see past it. I'm like, I listen, I have no idea what loss yeah. like that feels like, but that I is- I feel that though. Yeah, I get that too, right? I feel that when, even when I see you with like your grandmother. True, because um, you don't have yours. Yeah. Yeah, no, I get it that. It makes me like grateful. It makes me appreciative that you can honor. It's almost like you honor my pain by loving her more. True. Yeah. I get that. It's beautiful. Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> a little heavy. Uh, it's like 25 minutes. Okay. So, what we're going to talk about today in the actual episode is why weight loss is harder for some than it is for others. And laying out a little situation here, anyone who's ever embarked on a fat loss goal or a weight loss goal, they may have been doing all the right things. Mm -hmm. and quote-unquote right things and someone they know was doing similar things or maybe even putting less effort and getting better results while they were like what's going on I'm doing everything and sometimes that's just because someone's not as compliant as they think that's also a case that happens mm -hmm. but sometimes it's that someone has a lot more obstacles than someone else I and hear this a lot with husbands and wives true oh my god and Dylan and I are actually wonderful examples of this little phenomenon because we both fall at opposite ends of the spectrum yeah so I want to introduce a concept. I've talked about it a little bit in one of my newsletters. And before this gets taken out of context, this does not at all fully explain why some people struggle more and why some people don't. It's one part of a large puzzle of weight management. Yeah. But when it comes to metabolic types, right? We've heard that type. We've heard that word before. There's a lot of bullshit around what that is, but there are seem to be what um, researchers have called metabolic phenotypes. Mm -hmm. um, and meaning, so one would be considered someone who is more thrifty and someone who is more spendthrift and it's not dichotomous so it's not like someone is just thrifty or someone is spendthrift mm -hmm. but it's a spectrum yeah. right and someone who would be have a thrifty phenotype would be someone who when eating lower calories has a larger energy expenditure drop than what you would expect and they also might have less increases in energy expenditure when they eat more so for example they maintain on 2,000 calories. So they start eating 1,500 calories a day to theoretically lose around a pound a week. But when exposed to lower calories, their their actual energy expenditure drops to say 1,700. Now they're actually only in a 200 calorie deficit, right? Mm -hmm. Your energy maintenance is not this static thing. It's quite fluid and yep. there is individual responses to it. Now take another person, 2,000 calories is their maintenance as well, and they start eating less and then their maintenance drops to like 1,950. They have a 50 calorie reduction in energy 
expenditure per day. That person, they might both maintain the same and now are eating the same, but one's going to be losing significantly more body fat than the other. And both people are technically working equally as hard. They're being equally compliant. And one person's going to feel like, what are you doing? You're not working hard enough. Or someone's like, what are they doing differently? Like, what's the magic sauce? And really what it might be is someone might have more physiological obstacles or less physiological obstacles in making that goal appear, yes. right? So there's a, a spectrum of that. And what seems to also happen is that someone who is more spend thrifty, so they have smaller reductions in energy expenditure when eating less food, they also tend to have a little bit of greater energy expenditure when they eat more. Yes. So they're more defensive of weight gain with less defensive of weight loss when it comes to just purely energy expenditure changes. While in the opposite, someone who's more metabolically thrifty might have less energy increases when eating more. So they mm -hmm. don't defend weight gain as well and they defend weight loss even better. So that person's obviously going to have some inherently harder obstacles to overcome when it comes to weight loss than someone who's more spend thrifty. And again, try not to take this to the bank as like, oh, that's my only problem. Because mm -hmm. within that framework, energy balance still matters. It's still going to be the thing that governs, but it might be like, shit, I got to, maybe I have to try to increase my energy expenditure more. Uh, maybe I need to set up my environment to make it a little bit easier to not overindulge, et cetera, et cetera. But it also can help bring some compassion to this light that, hey, like I'm not just lazy because there's this bullshit yeah. kind of idea that people who struggle with their weight are just gluttons and lazy. And, and they're not trying hard enough. Exactly. They lack discipline. And you get someone who doesn't defend weight gain well at all and is in a really ineffective environment to mitigate energy intake over time. A lot of highly palatable calorie dense foods around a lot of the time and they eat an extra 200 calories per day and they don't have large increases in expenditure. Over years, it's really easy to see that pile on 10, 20, 30, 40 pounds. Yeah. They're not a glutton. And what often people think is, oh, that person is just can't put the fork down, bullshit like that. It's like, no, that person might have just had a banana more than you per day. Yeah. And had was dealt a way shittier hand of cards and it just resulted in that. And to call that person a glutton is offensive, but also not helpful. And don't get me wrong, there are some people who are gluttonous. I'm gluttonous and I'm I struggle with my weight. But if someone who someone who had worse genes than I and was less active ate like I did, they would be way heavier than I am, right? Yeah. And that's just like some people are given better hands, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, we say the word genetically gifted. This is on some level being genetically gifted. I'm, I've never considered myself to be genetically gifted. And yet here I am a hundred percent. I have a privilege. I have a very easy time losing weight. Like yeah. I can drop my calories by a hundred and I'll slowly start to watch myself lose weight. I have a tendency to move a lot by nature. And it seems that a reduction, in, uh, it has to be like a very significant reduction in calories before my physiology kind of catches up to me before yeah. I get that signal of we're more tired, we have less energy time to conserve. So I just don't have that same issue that some people do have more like Dylan. Yeah. So I am someone. Yeah who, and here's actually, there was a paper that discussed this, and this was to be actually pretty interesting, where they kind of used like fasting and really low protein overfeeding to assess the individuals if they were more spend thrifty or thrifty. So basically they would have them fast and see what their energy reductions dropped from baseline. And someone who would 24 hour fast have a larger reduction in energy was someone who was typically more thrifty and someone who had a very negligible one was typically someone who was more spend thrifty, right? Mm -hmm. But what was interesting was that the thrifty individuals, the ones who 
defend weight loss and mm-hmm. don't defend weight gain as well, they actually had a little bit higher energy expenditure at maintenance than the thrifty mm-hmm. individuals. And they're around the same body weight. So yeah. that was interesting. So it's not like if you're someone who's more thrifty, that means you're immediately, you just get to get this ultimately shit hand where you have to eat very little to maintain and anything mm, time yeah. you deviate, nothing changes. So I'm someone who maintains on a high amount of calories. Mm-hmm. But my maintenance calories is actually a pretty large range because I've tr- I tracked for so yeah. long. It's pretty much anywhere between 31 to 3,600 calories per day I seem to maintain on, which is wild. That's, That's a, a large range. range. And that was from the data I got from Macrofactor. It was just kind of all over the place. But if I wanted to lose weight and I trying to like, I thought I maintained on 3,500 calories, which I, I will maintain my weight if I eat 3,500 calories, which mm-hmm. sounds like a lot to anyone listening. I'm a big guy and I move a lot. But if I start eating 3,100 calories for a couple weeks, mm-hmm. nothing really happens. Like maybe a little bit of movement, but not as much as I would have expected. And when I started eating like 28, I saw more change. So yeah. it took a larger step to get out of that energy deficit yes. than I would have liked, but I get to eat a lot in general. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not just stuck in this shitty cycle. Yeah. But someone like Sam, if she dropped by 250 calories, she'd probably see half a pound a week consistently. Yeah. Right. Where if I drop by 250, probably not. I might I'd, even see more. Yeah. Which is, which is wild. That would be significant yeah. of you actually increasing energy expenditure, which you pace a lot. I just move. I move too much. Like, I don't know how not. I fidget. I can't help it. Like, so much of my movement is unconscious. And the moment you give me more food, I just move more. Yeah. Like, that's the problem. And that's unconscious. It's unconscious. Sam's not doing that. Yeah. Yeah. That's another thing people don't realize. It's not like you give certain people more food and they just like consciously, like they'll actually, they'll just burn it off a lot of the times. And it's not a conscious choice. Like they're just working harder than you. It's no, that's not really how that works. Some people do. It's not healthy to receive food and think I got to burn this off. Yeah. But some people just have increases in energy expenditure when eating more and some people don't. I get antsy. Like yeah. I physiologically feel antsy. Like I have energy to move around and not, it's not logical. It's not conscious. It's not planned. It's not like, oh, I ate a hundred extra calories today. Better move more. It's yeah. purely my body being like, we've got energy to burn. Let's play with it. Totally. I mean, even as I'm sitting here, you can't see me, but I've probably blinked maybe a million times. I'm petting the cat. I'm talking with my hands. I'm a twitchy, fidgety yeah, human. Yeah. Dylan's a little more slothy. True. I'm a sloth. Big he times. Is. He is. He's more peaceful at rest. Yeah, you're, like, Sam will get 15,000 steps being at home all day. Yeah. Just pacing around the condo. When she's on her phone, she's always pacing. I could legit get 500 steps in a day if I didn't think twice about it. Sam could never. Like, I just... No. Her brain would automate like get up move around fidget it actually gives me restless leg syndrome which is so scary but if you've ever had like a real bout of it at night where you literally can't fall asleep because you need to keep moving your legs i got that in covid yeah yeah because we hadn't moved in like a week and i couldn't sleep at night because i had so much energy and i didn't know what to do with it but i was too sick to move or do anything with it totally yeah so this is not to say that like obviously for both of us weight loss is still intentional we still have to like go through the same process. We still have to eat in a calorie deficit. We still have to monitor our activity output. We still do the same things. It's just that the strategies to achieve the end goal might look a little bit different. 100%. And it might, again, this is also an expectation situation. We want you to manage your expectations better. So if Dylan went into his diet with the same expectations that I can head into a diet with, yeah. he would probably, you know, end up really frustrated and maybe want to throw in the towel after a couple of weeks because it won't 
be as I don't want to say effortless, but like no, you would have less friction. Yeah, I would have like more there's friction. less friction yeah. for me, and that's okay, right? Yeah, like, I think a big thing to talk about here is you want to use yourself and your own outcomes as the evidence that's guiding you, right? Yeah. So like you don't have to use research specifically for everything. We use it to kind of get good starting points. Like mm -hmm. research says, doing ten sets per week seems to be a really good range to build muscle. It's okay. Start at ten sets. Mm -hmm. Am I am I not gaining any muscle? Or maybe I need more volume. Mm -hmm. Is this too much for me to handle? Okay, maybe I need to reduce my volume. Yeah. Because research is always bounded off of means. Yeah. And standard deviations are real. So like some people yeah. need less, some people need more. If you have no idea where to start, that's a great place to go. Listen, hey, what does the evidence say? But once you're once you got to get an idea of like, hey, what's the underlying principles? Mm -hmm. Energy balance, right? Then you want to take your own data and say, what do I need to do with this? So you're like, based on my data, I'm maintaining on 2,300 calories. All right, I'm going to eat 2,000. I'm going to see if I can lose around a half a pound a week on that and nothing happens. And you're not losing inches because you're building muscle at the same time, right? You're like, I'm pretty consistent mm -hmm. on everything else. Then that would be data that you're actually not in a calorie deficit. Maybe you're defending it more. Maybe you're moving less. So then you take that data and think, okay, can I, should I get my steps up? Mm -hmm. Should I actually reduce my calories more? I just had to do that with a client. Like that's a thing you can do. Mm -hmm. And in this situation, you're making decisions based off of your outcomes mm -hmm. as opposed to making decisions based off of what you think should happen and what your friend or peer or what some Instagram person said should happen. 100%. Um, we don't know. We're always making broad statements. Hopefully if they're data informed or they're based off the solid, the best science we have, but science is broad and not always precise to the individual. And that's why we think this is a really important discussion to have. A hundred percent. And I think another important factor in what makes weight loss easier for some than others, which is like another point of distinction between you and I, we need to look through the lens of sociology and like behavioral psychology, because for some of us, um, we are going to have a, you know, let's also throw mental health into the mix. Sorry, because that psychology in general is important when we think about the nervous system and we think about dopamine and we think about um, sources of dopamine and ways to regulate our nervous system so a perfect example is you're stressed or you're exhausted and depleted after a long day of work some people will feel more inclined to reach for the snacks or to use food as a way to emotionally regulate a dysregulated system. That's because me to a hundred to a T. Food is a, like the same way that your phone is a dopamine casino. For some of us, especially if it's been historic and lifelong and constant, the hit of dopamine from the food that you eat can be very, very, very significant and compelling. So some people will have a much harder time dieting just by way of needing to regulate a dysregulated nervous system. And in seeking for that little hit of dopamine, you know, it's sometimes harder for some than for others to not go for the snack cupboard. Yeah. And this is particularly, I'll caveat this, with more processed, more delicious foods. Yeah. Um, ain't nobody getting dopamine off of raw broccoli. No. But the more palatable a food is, right? So like foods that have the best textures with the most flavorful kind of hyper uh, ultra processed mannerisms to them. Yeah. Great mouthfeel. Like McDonald's, like it just melts as opposed to if you were to eat like, it actually is like gushy in your mouth the moment you eat a burger from there. <laughs> I know. Compare that to a homemade burger, like that's a different, that's almost a completely Mouth different food stuff. Texture, and they're, they're designed to be delicious.
delicious. That's why yeah. that's, that's nothing wrong with that. But for some people like myself, I've been regulating with food for a very long time. Yeah. And if you regulate with food and during times of stress, having access to hyper palatable foods or trying to limit calories can just be a shit show because you're yes. like, oh my God, I'm trying to reduce my energy intake because I'm trying to lose some body fat. And it's such a super stressful time at work and all those foods are off limit. The moment I get a hand on them, I'm binging them. And I've, I've disassociatively eaten a lot of yeah. times in my life where I'm like, I don't even know what just happened. I finished a box of pizza and I was like, I actually almost blacked out. Like I was yeah. automated just soothing, like a baby sucking on a soother, <laughs> like me eating a box of pizza. Food is very, very powerful for me. For yeah. Sam, it's, it's, yeah, it's good. But like I've, yeah. I could see her even on the worst day, the most stressful day, eat her favorite food, take a bite and be like, yeah, it's, it's fine. But there are other things that she copes with, right? Yes, absolutely. Some people cope with alcohol, nicotine. Some people cope with, with sex, Weed. video games, whatever it might be, <laughs> whatever stimulative and is soothing. TikTok. Um, TikTok. Social media is a great example. Oh, TikTok's so good. Um, for some people, it's food is one of the strongest ones. Yes. And for um, them, it's always going to be harder to lose weight. Well, it's like, it's those little neural pathways again. Think of them like grooves that you have completely um, dug into. They're like these deep, deep grooves. So the moment you feel like emotional dysregulation, and that can come from stress. It can be that you're sad. It can be that you had a bad day. Like it can come from so many things. It's just the moment you feel dysregulated, your brain goes, I got it. I know exactly what we need to do next to alleviate this uncomfortable feeling. And because it's so historic, it's so convenient, it's been done so many times before, your body can't help but go right back there. Yeah. So this is where, you know, therapy can be really helpful and yeah. working on these habits because it is a habit. It's a behavior that like is unconscious and automatic. And that means that if you want to curb it, you might need to learn how to regulate a dysregulated nervous system in more productive ways that can help you get to your goal not take you further from it yeah um it's very challenging for yeah. sure it's a total learning process but it is something that is so significant when it comes to making weight loss more or less challenging for a person because it's like this subtle way that we can like self-sabotage yeah. over and over and over again and if we don't get to the problem from its root then you know we can just keep doing the same thing over and over again and repeating it yeah because i think the trap some of us get stuck in is like oh, i'll just work harder next time or like mm -hmm. i just won't i'll just say no when i'm in that situation and i think some people i think it often makes people uncomfortable to realize how automated some things can go where and honestly like we've all been there where we did something and we're like i don't really i know i did it and i have the memory of doing it but i don't know why i did it like yeah. i had no idea it was almost like i was automated and a good example i think most people who use their smartphone can relate to is the mm -hmm. moment you're bored phone yeah the moment you back in the day when we were kids i'd be bored as shit just like what do i do like i'd be i remember eating breakfast eating cereal like reading every letter on that box i'd read the french i was so bored you give me a phone back then and i could google sports net and everything i'd be on it the whole time so now the moment i'm bored i'd phone and i like i gotta catch myself and be mindful not doing that yeah mindfulness practices can be very helpful yes if you're someone like me who actually has a, has a history of some disordered patterns around eating and coping then therapy or whatever mental health 
wealth access you have you can get is probably a really mm-hmm. good idea to unpack where that comes from mine was very rooted in some of my traumas from my early childhood that were mm-hmm. unresolved that might not always be the case it might just be a pattern that you have when you're uncomfortable you go to food we all have our shit mm-hmm. um, but if that relates to you that's another thing to keep in mind when aiming to lose weight mm-hmm. it might be harder for you you might have more obstacles there and yeah. it doesn't mean that you lack willpower it means that you know what you have a choice someone else has a choice sure but there's weight to those choices and your choice there now is way more heavy than someone who has a very minimal relationship with food emotionally mm-hmm. um, and also maybe has an easier time losing weight and less defense like comparing you to that person is a really is a really unhelpful activity to do because it'll probably make you feel broken like you're pathetic like you just don't have willpower and it's just not the truth like there are all these invisible obstacles that you don't even see that you're having to hurdle yeah it's like a running a hundred meter sprint and that that person has no hurdles you have 80 and then he they finish first and they're like what's wrong with you you're so slow it's like well yeah you had a clear 100 meter sprint and i had 10 hurdles along the way i know it can be so frustrating and so challenging and i mean even within my immediate family like I I saw this happen right I've seen my mom start complete so many diets like she has been successful on so many diets but you know she's not her metabolism not so great truly she doesn't have to eat that much to gain weight her activity output has been limited by way of her physical problems and she was never really able to get to the root of the problem right like she emotionally regulates with food in a very significant way and she knows that but it's a very challenging um problem to live with especially if you don't have the resources to like unpack it with somebody or if you're um you know unable to sort of control your environment a little bit better because yeah like that is going to make a big difference the food that you have surrounding you and available to you is going to make your life either more or less challenging when you're dieting especially so it's important for you to like really gather data about yourself be curious and be a detective on yourself gather all the data when you go on a diet or when you're sitting at maintenance or even if you're in a surplus all that data is very valuable it teaches us like what works for you what doesn't work for you and how to move forward and how to achieve the goal that you want to achieve no totally so i had a question yeah say you and i were sitting here and there was a bowl of chips on the table yeah what would your mindset or inner dialogue be around that or what did you even care um it depends what flavor of chips they are what okay. type of chips they are okay And if I actually want or crave them. And then I go, if I do want and crave them, I go, ooh, chips. And I usually just want like a couple and then I'm over it. (sighs) Okay. Yeah. So... If there was a bag, of, if there was a bowl of chips on this table right now for our podcast, yeah, I would be, I would probably lose about thirty to forty percent of my engagement in this discussion, and I would go directly towards. It'd be like a magnetic pull, thinking about that bag of chips, and an entire Shakespearean inner dialogue of should I eat them? How could I fit them in? Where am I ne- negotiating? If I were to have them, would I just have a smaller dinner, or maybe I'll just eat less tomorrow? Like this would be a thirty-minute thing. Like a negotiation. Oh my God. It would be a, as to a how whole you thing. Crush it. Yeah, 100%. And once I started, um, I'm a big inertia guy. Uh-huh. Oh, the inertia would just start going. And inertia is just like a Newtonian physics law of like once an object gets in motion, it doesn't want to stop. And an ob- 
object not in motion doesn't want to move. It's so interesting. Once this object gets in motion of hand to bowl, um, it's going to go until there's nothing left to grab. I just like to taste things. I don't yeah, need no. a lot because I'm not hungry, right? Like I, if oh, it has nothing to do I'm with eating hunger, them for fun. I'm just, I want to taste it. Like I'll have a bite, a few bites. Oh, the, the low grade. So the low grade of depression that I just carry with me all the time will yeah. be alleviated the entire time that I'm going chip to mouth, hand to bowl. <laughs> Oh my God. And see, for me, it's like, what do I want when I'm stressed? I want to be left alone in a room and I want to play with my dopamine casino. I just want to flip through TikTok. Yeah, no, I, I like, it. I like, I like food TikTok. Like, but food. No. <laughs> wow. No, yeah. food. I don't, honestly, a big part of my adolescence, I think, was violently rebelling against everything that my family did and said. True. So I think that because I had two parents who very clearly emotionally regulated with food and that behavior was role modeled to me, that in my adult life, I kind of turned away from it. The day that yeah, I decided that like, sense. I want to be a healthy person, I was like, I'm going to literally be the opposite of them. And I feel like fundamentally altered the way yeah. that I feel around food. But that's... No, I get that. And that can go both ways. Some people, yeah. it can get passed down and that's yeah. just kind of what you do. My family, like, it's interesting. My sister and I both have struggled with our relationships with food and with our weight from yeah. childhood. My parents didn't at all, but they also didn't eat. Like my dad eats like a bird and Angie also eats like a bird. I just never really saw the meat and I've shared on this podcast, we've never had family meals together. Uh -huh. So it was never modeled. Like when I was a kid, I didn't see, oh, you eat slow, you put the fork down, you engage in discussion, we share, we bond. With me, it was just shoveling food in my mouth and I grew up on a diet of very processed foods because yeah. they were microwavable. So they were oftentimes very delicious and I was yeah. a very sad, very sad child, very neglected child. So food was the best, mm -hmm. right? Food always paid attention to me. And the worst of saddest days I could watch TV and eat McDonald's and like all of my residual pain that I carried with me all the time that was unresolved would disappear at least for the time I was eating. Wow. Yeah, powerful. It's powerful. I didn't have that alleviation. Like food never brought me that peace, right? So it's a lot easier for me to have a healthy relationship with food. It doesn't cost me as much effort just yeah. by nature. Like True. I don't have to put as much mindfulness or intention into it. It's a little more seamless for me. Yeah. For you. Oh, way more. It's I a have constant daily practice. And for some people that might just be it for you. I struggle. I've accepted that that's what yeah. it's going to be like for me for an indefinite period of time, if not lifelong. Lifelong. It's lifelong. Yeah. Like the same way I will be neurodivergent forever. Yeah. This might be your struggle. And, and that's actually, there. That, that's a thing within uh, some behavior change literature mm -hmm. of like taking an acceptance-based approach to change. Yes. I need to accept that I will struggle with my relationship yes. with food to some degree for the rest of my life because sometimes we can set ourselves up to think, oh, I'm just going to go on that diet and then I'll, I'll be good. Once I lose the weight. Well, and it's like, that's probably not how it's going to go. I have, as Sammy was talking, I have neural pathways that they're there are eight lane highways yep. around food. I've paved that a thousand times over. Yeah. The idea that it just goes away, it's going to be like riding a bike always. And it's not that I'm an addict, but it's that I have a very strong coping mechanism relationship yeah. with food. And to not respect that can get me into trouble when it comes yeah. to my health outcomes. And it reminds me of that podcast we did, like, so you're healed. Now what? Yeah. And it's like for a lot of us, being healed or feeling healed actually looks like acknowledging the fact that you will struggle with this 
on some level, it will be in your mind, it will be in your sphere, it will be a daily practice, it will be something you always have to be conscious or cognizant of for the rest of who knows. Yeah. And I know that doesn't sound so motivating, but it kind of is. It's liberating to just be like, this is it for me. Like, yeah. I know that this will always be one of my issues, but I know how to deal with it better. I have the tools now. I have yeah. the resources. I know that I can. And when you look at it from that place, instead of, you know, I'm not genetically blessed and I haven't been given all of these privileges and life will always be a little bit harder for me and weight loss will always be harder for me and things like that. And believe me, I've been down the self-pity spiral recently with my neurodivergence. So we all have our shit, but there's a lot more peace in being able to come at it from a place of being like, well, I know that this will be harder for me and that's okay because yeah. I have the resources and I have the tools and I can still do it. 100%. I couldn't agree more with that. I actually have a quick little story I want to share on that because I think mm -hmm. um, people, I think you'll like this too. So I had a client who struggled with his weight for his lifelong. Yeah. And we were talking about this topic specifically. He had lost about 15 pounds and he wanted to lose a little bit more. And he was just, he was kind of talking about how much of a bummer it is that it's so hard. And I was like, I totally empathize with that. I, I have that too. But I, he, this guy lit up a room wherever he went. Yeah. Everyone, he knew how to talk to anyone. And the gym I was at, he actually knew more people at the gym than I did. And I was working there. Like he just knew people by their first name. People remembered him. He was a lovely human being who could command a room wherever he walked in. Mm -hmm. And he didn't command it in like this, like toxically alpha way. It was just through being a kind human being. People were like, I want to be around that guy. He's just good vibes. And I was like, have you ever thought about the fact that there are some shy people and socially anxious people that see you and think, oh my God, my life would be so much better if I could do that. They don't give a shit about your weight. They genuinely envy how you carry yourself and the confidence yes. you have when you walk in a room. And he was like, yo, I never thought about that. A hundred percent. I'm like, dude, you're gifted in that. Absolutely. And you're not going to be gifted in everything. And we always compare, like someone might look at me and think, oh, I wish I could do this. Well, mm -hmm. I might look back at them and say, man, I wish I was as indifferent to food as you were. I wish it was as easy for me. And we're comparing that. And it's like, we can't all be gifted at everything, but we are all gifted in something. Yeah. And no Knowing that limitation and thinking, hey, like that's going to be a really tough struggle for me and I can accept that yeah. and I can put in places and systems to make it not yeah. require so much willpower. That's way more effective than thinking I just need to have more discipline. Absolutely. It's just it's such an uphill battle, like so Sisyphean when you don't have this knowledge behind you. You know what I mean? Like when you look at it for, through the lens of I just need more discipline, I just need to white knuckle it a little bit harder. But how's that working for you? Has it worked for you in the past? Because yeah. I know I've tried to white knuckle my way through a lot of shit in my life and it did not work very well. And in that case, your role models and your guides should yeah. not be people who can do it easy, right? If you struggle with managing your weight and because you emotionally regulate, you have a hard time with this, maybe you're not like like naturally inclined to be in the gym and be really active. You're just not someone who cares about it. You can mm -hmm. get your steps in, you can get some workouts and whatever. Your role model and who you listen to for guidance probably shouldn't be someone who's never struggled with their weight and is just like has no struggles with being mm -hmm. active and loves the gym. They might be good inspo, right? If you yeah. want to have that. But if that were to be your coach or if that were to be someone you were working out off of, not a great idea. Having someone who is more empathetic or, yeah. or a figure who's way more relatable to you yeah. is probably a better idea. If someone who is really 
really cared about their physique listen to this podcast i'd be like this isn't your podcast yeah like this is a podcast sure. is is not about developing the best physique i go to renaissance periodization listen to a mike israel podcast i love that guy i go to him yeah. to learn about that i'm not the guy to go to for that neither is sam like we have a different approach to who we really help yeah. and that's okay right but if you're looking at the influencer with the quote-unquote perfect body and never struggles as your guidance but yeah. you're not at all that you're setting yourself up to feel like shit a lot of ways percent. yeah it's something that i see a lot on instagram that bothers me so much because a lot of women do these um what i eat in a day posts and yeah, the subtle so problematic the subtle inference at the beginning of each post when they you know they start the reel usually by them lifting up their shirts to show always. off their abs always which subtly infers if you eat like me, yes. you'll look like me. They might not and even they know do it, yeah, it yeah. at the beginning of their training videos too to be like, if you train like me, you'll look like me. And here's the truth. You can train like me and you can eat like me and you're still not going to look like me. I could train like Dylan and eat like Dylan and I still wouldn't look like Dylan. You can- <laughs> <laughs> Imagining if you ate like me. <laughs> Ew, I could never. Oh my God. I could never. That'd be wild. I would love, actually you should eat my entire diet for one day. I would puke if I had to eat. <laughs> that much like oh my god but yeah like you're not you're not going to acquire somebody else's body somebody else's bone structure somebody else's metabolism somebody else's composition by way of doing what they do like that's never gonna happen what you can do is what works for you 100 what works best for you a program designed for you a nutrition plan that caters to what you like and what you need and where you're at and that's like the beauty of coaching like the individualization that is the beauty of in taking all of that data and being a detective to yourself because now you can actually create a plan that works for you yeah you can use your own psychology and figure out what works for you when it comes to like your behavior around food you can do a little bit of digging to assess like you know why do i keep reaching for the snack cupboard when i'm not really hungry all of this data and all of this knowledge is so valuable in figuring out what works for you because i can't tell you what that what that is any better than dylan can and any better than some random influencer or whoever on social media you know better yeah more often than not because you know your body. No, I, I couldn't agree more with that. So. I think that's a good place to conclude it. Yeah. This uh, went way too long. That's okay. Meh. Yeah, I, this was a good conversation um, and a lot of things to share. And yeah. I think it's unique because you and I are actually on different spectrums of kind of the concepts we talked about. Totally different ends. So just to conclude, weight loss will be different for everyone. Um, mm-hmm. If if you see someone struggling while you're succeeding, getting on that high horse is a really bad idea. Support, curiosity, all those things are far better. Um, and then the opposite is true too. So if you're, if you're struggling and someone else is succeeding, it does not mean that they're inherently working harder. You guys might have different obstacles. Comparing apples to oranges gives a very unhealthy helpful answer so um, it'll be different for everyone and if you have any questions about this topic shoot us a message on social media you know where to find us join the facebook community group etc etc so just reminder if you want to support the show online coaching is available link will be in the show notes newsletter subscribe to that and then of course share the pod leave a review tell people how how amazing our rants are that go 25 minutes to start the episode i'm sure y'all appreciated that I know. It's mind blowing. <laughs> I kid. I love. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Cheers.